Good morning. It's been a wonderful worship together this morning, being led in worship by the kids, uh, being, being instructed, taught. Can, can children teach us things? Yeah, you know, the Lord said that, that unless one comes with the simple, trusting faith of a child, they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's that simple, straightforward, trusting faith that the kids remind us about, encouraged us to this morning. We would do well to take that to heart. There's a, there's a song you've probably heard around Christmas time. In fact, our choir here has sung it before. It's called, Mary, Did You Know? And, and it poses one question after another. Mary, did you know this? Did you know that? Did you know, did you know that this child that you delivered would soon deliver you? Did you know that this little babe is the great? Mary, what did you really know? Because we have this sweet and tender notion of a, of a mother cradling that helpless little infant. And it says that Mary pondered these things in her heart. What did she really know at the time? What did she only understand sort of along the way? Certainly she knew. She knew better than anybody else his birth was miraculous. But what did Mary know? I want to invite you to, to open your, your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And first, I want us to go to the end of Luke chapter 1. Now, I think you'll find us on about page 856 if you're using the church Bible. But I want us to go to the end. I want you to look at from about verses 68 and following. Verses 68 to 79. There's a, there's a different kind of uh, font in a lot of Bibles, or the, or the formatting is different. It's, it's, it's to let you know that the things that the, that the father of John the Baptist, who's a priest named Zechariah, the things that he has to say are one after another he's quoting to or he's referring to, he's alluding to. It might not be an exact quotation, but he's referring to the Old Testament. And so if you look, you have all these little, all these little footnotes or cross-references in there. And those cross-references point back to one Old Testament passage after another. And that's because... Well, he's a priest. He's an old priest. He's been around the book a while. He's been ministering. You'd expect a preacher to do that, that when he, when he talks, it sounds like Bible, right? He probably spoke in these and thous, right? That's why the, uh, the, um, the text is indented. It's to alert you to, this is an Old Testament quotation. A lot of times you just have a, a quick verse that's quoted, and it's, it's shown in a different format like that to let you know this comes from somewhere. Okay, now with that in mind, with the old, old priest, with the old preacher Zechariah, all this in his response concerning Jesus and John the Baptist, all of this Old Testament promise comes out of him. Now look over in the same chapter, a few verses earlier, starting about verse 46, where Mary said, now Mary has been told by the angel Gabriel that she's the one. She is the one through whom God is going to bring the Messiah to the world. That, that the power of the Most High will come upon her. And the Holy Spirit will overshadow her. And that which is born of her will not be from a man, but by the power of God. Virgin born, Son of God. Nothing is impossible with God. And, and, and the angel also tells Mary that, you know, by the way, your cousin Elizabeth, who is elderly, 
Like, it's like Abraham and Sarah all over again. Elizabeth is already six months with child. And so, so Mary goes to see her cousin Elizabeth, to be with her, for them to rejoice together because both of their children are playing a, a very important role in what God is doing. John the Baptist will be the forerunner. Mary's, Mary's child is God's Messiah, God's Savior. And so when Mary comes, Elizabeth says, those words that perhaps you've heard in religious circles before, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, referring to Jesus. And then Mary responds, and Mary replies. And look at the text from verse 46 on to verse 55. These are Mary's reply. And again, it's that same kind of formatting that you saw in the priest Zechariah's response. It's not when somebody responds and makes a lengthy response that the Bible puts that in different formatting. It's when those are all Old Testament quotations, Old Testament allusions, referring back to what God has already said in what is now being spoken. That's what's going on here. You expect that with the preacher Zechariah. A little more surprising with this young woman. This early teens, later teens, we don't know exactly, but this teenage woman named Mary. What did Mary know? Well, we're going to, as we unpack these verses, we're going to see what did Mary know, really? How much did she understand? Could she know about what was going on? And we're going to find that there's at least 15 different. I packed them into your, we're not going to turn to every one of them. But I packed them into your sermon notes. You can see all of these references that are alluded to. There's at least 15, if not more, because there's multiple places where that one could have come from. There's all kinds of references here. First of all, what we know from Mary is that Mary had God's word in her heart. That Mary had, 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 had dwelled, had pondered. It says in the scripture concerning the things that she's told about her son from those magi and, and, and what the shepherds revealed about what the angels said and Mary pondered all of these things in her heart. And she had obviously done that with God's word also. She had taken God's truth and she had brought that into her head, into her heart and that prepared her to respond. What is it that made Mary's response so different from Zechariah's? Remember, the angel, same angel. So it wasn't the angel's communication skills. Same angel shows up to Zechariah and he says, your prayers have been answered. You are finally going to be a father. He's like, what? Are you serious? That cannot happen. He doesn't talk again for nine months because all he's going to do is talk about what God can't do and God's not interested apparently. Mary, on the other hand, is told, you are, you are going to be the mother of the Messiah. And Mary doesn't say, wait a minute, that can't happen because I haven't, I haven't, I haven't known a man. Mary says, how will God do this? How will this happen since I'm a virgin? I have not, I have not known a man. My husband and I were engaged. We're not yet married. And so Mary's question is, well, how is God going to do it? What was it that prepared her to respond in faith, rather than doubt. And it's because she had already put what God had said into her head and into her heart. And now in praise and worship, what God has said to her comes bubbling up and flowing out of her in these words that tell us, what did Mary know? 
Mary knew, first of all, that God sees and God saves. That God is her savior. That God has noticed her, God has looked upon her, and God saves her. Look again at verse 46. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My soul magnifies. That word magnify, it's not unlike how you would think of it today. It's to take something and make it bigger, to make much of something. What Mary is saying is, my soul, out of my heart, I want to make much of God. I want to I broadcast this. I want a megaphone to tell this. I want to make much of God my Savior. Through church history, much has been made of Mary. Too much has been made of Mary. Things have been said about Mary that simply aren't true. Things have been said about Mary that should only be said about Jesus. Sometimes Mary is, there's talk of an immaculate conception. And they don't mean Jesus. They mean Mary herself must have been born sinless so that she could be the mother of a sinless Savior. That Mary is sometimes called even a co-redeemer. That's not so. Mary doesn't say that here. Mary says, I will make much of God my Savior. People have made too much of Mary. We do well to not make too little of Mary. She is a great example for us of those whom God will use. You may think, well, who am I? I'm not even important. I'm out of the way. I'm not noticed. and I, I, I'm, I'm too young. And yet, those kids spoke to us this morning, didn't they? And Mary can as well because she already knows what God has said that God sees and saves so she's going to make much of God God my Savior my spirit rejoices in God my Savior Mary needs a Savior just as you and I need a Savior she is God's servant she needs God help he has looked on the humble estate of his servant it's the humble estate she sees herself in need she sees herself needing a Savior, and God has provided that Savior. Her humble estate, who is she really? Mary's nobody. Mary's a young, poor, peasant woman in the backwaters of Galilee. Galilee was not the place to be, to be from. Galilee, if I could compare it into, into our world today, it's kind of the way that Portland looks at Battleground or Amboy. Okay? It's kind of like the way that the East Coast and the West Coast look at flyover country in the middle of the U.S. What is, what, what, what of any import or value comes out of there? Really, these are the places where it's happening. And yet Mary from Nazareth, but she's from the, the, the line of David, but not the right branch of the family tree, so to speak. She's not from the son of David that all the kings like Solomon and following come from. No, she's from a different son of David. And so while she, she is Davidic, certainly, ah, it's not quite the same. And she wasn't in Bethlehem. Remember, she was up there in Nazareth. Who is Mary really, that anybody, especially God, would take notice of her. But God raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. He gives the barren woman a home. 
and makes her the joyous mother of children. And Mary has seen that happen with Elizabeth. It's going to happen with her. She wasn't barren, but she was a virgin, and yet God has chosen her. Who is Mary that God should notice? Who, is, who are you? Who am I that God would notice us? And yet he has. God sees and saves. God just doesn't have a general program for the world that this is the way it works and this is how he'll save and this is how he'll forgive. God knows you. Now pause on that just for a moment because God knows that thing too. That thing that you just pushed back out of you, God knows that also. God sees you as you really are and God saves. I will make much of the Lord. I will rejoice in God my Savior. God sees and he saves. He looks on the humble estate of his servant. And from behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. From now on. That's one of those Passover phrases, right? That's the the phrase we just kind of go right on by as we're reading the story. From now on. From now on means things have changed. Luke uses this in dramatic ways when there's a game-changing event that is going on. The disciples, a bunch of fishermen, and Jesus says, from now on, I will make you fishers of men. From now on, you will be fishers of men. From now on, you will catch men, not fish. From now on, your lives will be different. From now on, your significance has been changed. From now on, your eternal destiny has been dramatically altered. From now on, unnoticed, unknown, Mary shall be called blessed by everybody around the world. And that's true. You heard of Mary, haven't you? How many other young peasant women out of Nazareth do you know? Have you heard? And God's word is true. And just as God would call her blessed, there's something, there's something in that for us. We are God's messengers. God has given to us, those of us who know Jesus Christ, God has given to us this this message of the gospel, this good news to tell to others that God will forgive, God will save, God sees them, God will save them. And you, in that message, have the opportunity to be used by God to change somebody's destiny. It's just like taking a child into your home, a child that, that whatever situation, this child is, is, is now, now a foster child, needs adoption, and, and you take that child into your own home and, and, and raise this child as your own child, and you have dramatically altered that child's future. And God has done that with you. God will dramatically change our from now on. We easily focus on the past, don't we? We focus on what did happen, what holds us back, what's in the way, how we have somehow disqualified ourselves. But God says, from now on, you belong to me. You are forgiven. Your sin is forgotten. From now on, you are my child. God sees and saves Can I just suggest that we ought to take time to see? We ought to take time to look. We ought to take time to notice. See people around you. See people that God has set in your life in this busiest time of year as you're going about the stuff of the season. You're going to be in a shop. You're going to be in a store, and you're going to go through a cashier, and the the cashier is so harried and hurried, and there's so much going on. 
pause and say something about. This is a busy time of year, isn't it? But this is such a special time of year. People get so busy because there's something special here. And oh, I hope sometime in the midst of your busy season, you'll have a chance too to slow down and ponder about how God sent his son into the world. Notice people that God sets you among. God sets you near. God puts in your path. Notice them. Bless someone. All generations will call me blessed, Mary says. There's something of that that's for us as well. There's something about that, again, that the, 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 the game changed, the life changed, the eternity changed, the, the destiny altering from now on that God does for anyone in Christ. You can call one another blessed. You know, there's something powerful in reminding one another of who we are in Christ. Reminding one another in our conversation together, reminding one another of what it is that God has done for you. How it is that God delights in you. How it is that God loves you, forgives you, embraces you, receives you. Because we easily forget that. We look in the mirror and we see all that's wrong with us and the enemy would whisper that in our ears. And and yet, to hear from one another, you are blessed beyond measure. That God has blessed you with all spiritual blessings in Christ. You are an heir of God and a joint heir of Jesus Christ in Christ. You are, you are seated with him already in heavenly places to remind one another of this reality that that's who we are in Christ. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. God is unique. His holiness is his uniqueness. There is none like him. There is none like him in his mightiness, ability, the power of the mighty. The the angel Gabriel said would come over here. Nothing is impossible with God. That God sees and saves and God is uniquely able to. Moses said what God had done for Israel what none other could do. Solomon said there is none like God in heaven or on earth who keeps his covenant and his steadfast love. And Solomon ought to know, huh? Solomon was a bit of a problem child. Solomon was a bit of a wanderer. And what Solomon did in his wandering, he tested God's covenant. He tested God's promise. And he found what Paul tells to Timothy, that even if we are unfaithful, yet God abides faithful. God continues to be faithful to his promise of forgiveness, his promise of restoration. Why? Because it's his promise and he cannot deny himself. He said, I don't deserve it. I didn't keep my, you, you didn't have a part of this deal. He says, I will save you if only you trust me, if only you believe it. That's our part of the deal is to receive that. God is uniquely able to act in mercy. God is uniquely able to see. He's uniquely able to save. He's uniquely willing because he is uniquely, one of a kind, merciful. Mary knew that God saw her, saved her. Mary knew that God sees and saves. Mary knew that God acts in mercy. Now, it's important. God, did not, God does not merely think in mercy. We kind of, again, think of God as somewhat remote. He's distant, and he, he, he'd be merciful if only we could get closer to him. But God is not uh, thinking merciful thoughts toward you. God has acted in mercy toward you. God acts in mercy. God does mercifully. 
And his mercy, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. This is nothing new with him. This is nothing new with God, and Mary knew that. Mary perhaps is thinking of Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord, your God, he is God. He is the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, one generation after another to a thousand of them. And what that, that is saying in hyperbole is all generations. There's no limit. Mary also knows that God's past faithfulness declares his continuing faithfulness. What God has done shows what God is like. It shows who God is, and therefore it declares to us also what God will do. God has been merciful. God is merciful, so God will be merciful. You can count on it because it's who he is. Romans chapter 15, verse 4 says that whatever was written beforehand... And that's, if you're, in the, if you're in the book of Romans, let me demonstrate. I'll go a few more gospel acts, get to the book of Romans. About in here is chapter 15. If you're in the book of Romans, and you're talking about those things that were written beforehand, that's all of this thick part. That's most of Bible. Most of the Bible that we hold in our hands is what Paul would say from Romans 15, those things that were written before, they are written, it's not just history to know something about, those things that are written before, they are written for our instruction. So that through the endurance and the encouragement of the scripture, we would have hope. Now hold that thought for a minute. What is the endurance of the scripture? Is the endurance of the scripture a Bible that lasts is the endurance of the scripture a Bible that has a leather cover and a good binding and you've had it for years and it's still holding together? You know it'll hold together longer if you don't use it much. So I really don't recommend that. Wear, wear that rascal out, okay? But the endurance of the Bible is not merely that, that, that it's, it's, it's a book you've had for a long time. The endurance, the endurance of the scripture is that it has held up the test of time. Over a span of 4,000 years, this book has been tested. This book has been challenged. And over 4,000 years, these writings of the Scripture continue to be found to be true. Even in historical evidence and even in archaeological discoveries, again and again, the Bible has shown that person that was named, we've never heard of him other places in history. And all of a sudden, something new is dug up, and there it is. Through the enduring of God's Word, over thousands of years, and by the encouragement that we found it, this can be relied on, and this speaks to our heart. Mary knew that. Mary had put this word of God into her heart, and out of God's word in her, of God's goodness, of God's faithfulness, over those thousands of years, keeping his promise, her heart found hope. And yours can too. You're hungry. In a lot of ways, you want something real. You want, where, where, where is life's foundation? What is it really all about? And God's story here is his story about you. Where did you come from? Why did he make you? What has he promised you? And how will he fulfill that? That's all here. And your part in it, your part in the from now on, your destiny that he will change and how he will use you then in the, in the from now on for others. God acts in mercy. 
In the strength of his arm, he has shown, he's, he has shown strength. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Those that are proud in their own hearts. Those who rely on themselves. Those who say, I've got this. I don't need God. And they won't find him. He will not help them. They will be scattered in the midst of their own proud thoughts. And yet, the strength of his arm, the strength of his arm is for those whom he exalts. The strength of his arm refers to God's great power. It's a, it's a Hebrew. It's one of the ways that, that, the, that, that the Jewish scriptures, well, God is not a man as we are. God does not have biceps. He doesn't have biceps like I do. No. His, his strength is much greater. Okay? Yeah, let's not talk about my biceps. But the strong arm of the Lord, I think of Isaiah 53, 1, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Is that what Mary's thinking about? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah 52, verse 10, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God, the greatest strength God has ever shown, the mightiest thing God has ever done when the Son of God, God himself, translated into humanity, comes to earth, is born of a virgin, is as a helpless baby, grows and lives among us, limits himself to humanity, and then lays down his life for us. He could have ended it all with just a word of his mouth. And yet he does all of that for us. God's greatest strength in humbling himself in weakness for us, for our salvation. God acts in mercy and in strength. And in that strength, he protects us against strong and proud enemies. Verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Those who think well of themselves and think themselves entitled to rule, God says, you're done. God himself only Jesus is entitled to reign. And you know why? The book of Revelation chapter 5 explains it. John is there before the throne of God, there in heaven, and, and the title deed of planet earth and over all of humanity is held out in a scroll, the judgment of the earth. And who is worthy to, to execute true judgment upon the earth? And they look and there is no one who is found worthy. None of us are eligible you talk about for this office or that, is this person qualified? Is this person eligible? Well, for the ruling and judging of the earth, no human is eligible. But then the angel tells the John, don't worry, look. And John looks, and there's the lion of the tribe of Judah. There is Jesus standing as a lamb slain. The evidence of his sacrifice for us still evident within his body. And he comes to the throne of God, and he takes the scroll and heaven sings, worthy is the lamb who was slain to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why is he worthy to rule and to reign? Why is he the one worthy to judge? Because he has redeemed. Out of every nation, tribe, and tongue by his own blood. In his death for us, he is worthy to rule over us. In his death for us, he's the one who's worthy to execute judgment upon those who would reject him. He will battle for us against the strong, against the mighty, and he will exalt, he will lift up as his own children those who are of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away. That sounds like Jesus in the Beatitudes, doesn't it? Blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. 
And that's not class warfare, that God's just, God, God is just going to focus on the poor and leave the rich to themselves. But God provides his mercy to those who will receive it. God provides his gift to those who will accept it. None of us can help ourselves, but any of us, as the children described, any of us who would accept this gift, it's offered to us, it's given to us freely. God provides for his own. He does that in mercy. And so, we want to come alongside in God's mercy. We want to participate in God's mercy. If God acts in mercy, we want to act in mercy. We want to join him there. We want to be used by him there. That's why the Christmas Project's. That's why Options 360, we want to come alongside others in mercy the way that God comes to people in mercy. That's why we want to come alongside Freedom House and help them in this discipling ministry, freeing men from addiction, because God comes alongside and meets the helpless there in the, in the midst of their trouble, and God pours out his mercy and lifts them up. And you and I can be part of that. We as a church can be part of what God is doing, exalting people in his mercy even today. There's something else from that. If God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, then Peter and James both pick up on this and they say, well, then humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. The presence of God is not a place to be proud. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. He will exalt you. He will say, you, you are my son. You are my daughter. You belong to me. You are an heir of God. You are a joint heir of Jesus Christ. What did Mary know? God sees, God knows, and God saves. Mary knew that God acts in mercy. He is uniquely able to and does, uniquely able and uniquely willing to act in mercy toward us and that God keeps his word. Look at the last couple of verses. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. God made a promise, and God has kept it. All the way back in Genesis 12, God made a promise to Abraham that in him, through his seed, through his descendant, all nations would be blessed, and God has kept that promise. But that promise was even before Abraham, wasn't it? Remember that? Last week we talked about that promise. As soon as sin enters the world, God is there and God promises that his son, who is the lamb slain since before the foundation of the world, God already knows about all this. God says, I've got this. There is going to come a, a, a descendant from the woman who is going to crush that serpent's head. And God has kept that promise. God made a promise through David that one of his sons would reign on his throne forever. It wasn't Solomon and it wasn't any of the rest of them until Jesus, and he will reign on David's throne forever. God had made a new covenant. And the thing about the new covenant is not for those who are able to keep God's commandments. It's not for those who are able to obey God and to follow and to keep all those ways. And then if they do, God will bless them. No, the new covenant is because they're not able to. So God says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of David. And we join into that new covenant God, in fulfilling his covenant to Abraham, to David, the new covenant made through Ezekiel and Jeremiah, God is fulfilling his promise to an unworthy people who were unfaithful. And why does he do that? Because God is faithful. That God keeps his word. I can't always keep my word. I fail. 
I fall short. I told somebody the other day, stick around here long enough and I will disappoint you. That's good news from the pastor, isn't it? Hang on. If I haven't disappointed you yet, I will. But I know myself. Some of you laugh already because, yeah, we've already been there, haven't we? Yeah, it may have been just this message. Who knows? But uh, I will disappoint you. You will disappoint one another, but God will not disappoint you. God will not let you down because of you. And he can't let you down because of him. Even when we are unfaithful, Paul tells Timothy, he abides faithful because he cannot deny himself. God has to be true to who he is. And he is God, my Savior, says Mary. That's confidence in the midst of your failing. And that's, hey, I can, I can make a commitment. I can make a commitment to somebody else. And by God's grace, by God's mercy, he will help me to keep that commitment, to follow through with them because my God is a promise-keeping God. God keeps his word. And he'll help me then by his power, by his spirit, to keep my commitment, to keep my word to somebody that I, I, I make that to. That's confidence all in the midst of my failing. When I fail, God will not. What did Mary know? God sees and saves. That God acts in mercy and God keeps his word. God does what he says. And what he says is, I will save you. If you'll trust me, if you'll believe it. Do you know what Mary knew? Do you know what Mary knew that God sees and saves? Maybe a better way to ask that question is, do you know who Mary knew? The kids put that question before us already, but I want to I round about and come, come to it again. Do you know who Mary knew? Do you know God who is your Savior? Do you know who, the God who will be faithful to you? Do you know the God who acts and has acted already in mercy to you? That though he knows you, you can trust yourself to him. Do you know him? Because right now, right now, you can say, Lord, I believe you concerning Jesus. You could enter a from now on moment that easily. Your eternity can be changed just in that simple prayer, like a child, Lord, I trust you concerning Jesus as my Savior. It's not any more complicated than that. Do you know who Mary knew? Would you like to trust him as he did? We're going to receive the offering in just a moment. There's a communication card. I'd love for all of you to use that communication card. If you haven't, they haven't got some of you, you've already signed up for the BP Blast, you say, the church already has my address. Good, don't worry about any of that. Just share a blessing with us. Share something God has done. Share something you're praying for that we can pray with you. Or maybe you would use that communication card to say, I'd like to know more about how I could trust God, how I could know him like Mary did. If a teenage young girl can get it concerning God as her Savior, I want to get it too. I want to know that too. Put that in the card, contact information, phone number. Love to get in contact. We'd love to talk more with you about that, even right after the service today. Know the God who Mary knew. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace toward us. Thank you, Father, that we can know such a great God and Savior.
that you have shown yourself to us. You have opened up your salvation to us. And Lord, now as we would receive this offering, Lord, first of all, it's a giving of ourselves. A giving of ourselves in trust to you. What does God want of us? What gift would we bring? Simply this. God, I trust you. And let everything else flow out of that. Lord, for one here this morning who wants to say, God, I believe you concerning Jesus as my Savior. I accept your forgiveness in him. Lord, would you speak to them right now, right where they are. Confirm in them your forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen.